The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Hammer on the Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, the number one place on the web for any and all gambling needs. Whether you like to throw a little bit of money on baseball games, uh, whether you got big into the NBA Finals, if you'd been betting Toronto, you'd have made yourself a pretty penny. If you want to get ready for a football season, if you like betting fights, whatever it is, MyBookie.ag has lines for you. All the best lines, all the best prop bets, and top-notch customer service. If you ever have any questions about a money line or about what a certain line means, their customer service is second to none. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match on your initial deposit. So if you haven't signed up yet, sign up at MyBookie.ag, put in the promo code BRAVES25, and whatever you put in, they'll give you half of that back as free Money, mybookie.ag, play, win, and have a great time. All right, you guys may have noticed, this is episode 69. So, for the nicest episode in our history, we had to bring on the nicest guest. And setting a record now for the most appearances on the Platinum Sombrero, who would we bring in none other than the sultry-voiced Gaurav Vidak? Gaurav, welcome back, sir. Thanks so much for having me. I love this podcast. love talking to you guys. So thank you so much for taking out that episode. I, I know just to, to clear the air, I did see it on Twitter, and I asked to be honest because I thought it would be funny. So I'm not that cool. I'm just, I know when to beg. <laughs> not too proud to beg TLC, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we wouldn't have it any other way. We uh, we had a, a very short list, so as soon as you uh, you threw your own hat in the ring, we knew. We knew you were the guy for this, so. 
yeah, we wouldn't have it any other way. And good news for a, good news for a 69th episode is the Braves have somehow found themselves five and a half games up in a division uh, playing the Cubs tonight. We are recording on Wednesday, so playing the third game against the Cubs tonight. Uh, what will be Dallas Keuchel's second start for the Braves, taking on you, Darvish. Um, it's a good week for the 69th because there there's a plethora of things to talk about. You're going to get angry, Dylan. You're going to get happy, Dylan. I think Doc is going to be his normal positive self, so we're going to need Garav here to... Uh, Tell us who who is who's gonna win between Doc and Dylan. Um, but l- let's start off with the happy. The Braves have been on one of the most incredible runs, particularly offensively, but one of the most incredible runs for a Braves team that I can remember. Uh, and I was born in '91, so there were a lot of really really good teams back in the day. But this Braves team, they are on some other type of level. Anymore, it's just it's you know. After so long of losing, it's so nice to turn the TV on or show up at the ballpark and say, you know what, I'm genuinely expecting to win today. It's been a really long time because last year everybody was really cautious and we we almost like we couldn't believe it. Like, is this really our luck? And anymore, it's like, oh, we're amazing. We're going to beat whoever anymore. I mean, am I alone? Am I the only one that's expecting to win like every single one of these games? No, I, I pretty much assume the Bears are going to win every single game. That's how I go into it. That's why I break my heart like way too many times a year. But that's just the mindset I have. Now I'm pretty much on that track too. I start looking around at other teams' starters. Go, oh, that guy! Ha! Braves are going to wreck him. He gave up three home runs to the Nationals. We're going to put seven on the board. And um, speaking of the Nationals in the NL East in general. This has been such a weird year. We came into this season thinking that four out of the five teams in this division legitimately had a chance to win it. And so far, at least, that has not been the case. We're like halfway into the season, and the Nationals and the Mets are closer to the Marlins in last place than they are to the Braves in first. I mean, in the Phillies... They were up by three and a half, and then you blink, and they're down by six and a half. I mean, that's a ten game swing inside of like two weeks. You know, we're we're entering like September two thousand eleven Braves territory, or or the September twenty eleven Red Sox territory, because the Braves weren't the only ones that melted. You know, the the Nationals are much better than they were playing at the beginning of the year. Uh, the Mets, well, you know, they got Callaway they're the trying to, they're the Mets. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're still the Mets. Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas are like trying to, to tag team fight reporters, which is just my, my favorite thing of the year. But yeah, I, I thought this division was going to be a dogfight. We use the word dogfight to describe this division like a hundred times. It has not been a dogfight at all. And at this point, Braves weren't as, as high up in the division as they are right now until September of last year. And now we're... Uh, tonight is game 81, so we're at the exact midpoint of the season. So <sighs> who knows? Like, who knows? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a dog fight in, in the sense that we're like a pit bull and everyone else is a chihuahua right now. <laughs> I, I, I sent out a tweet a few days ago basically saying how every other team in the division is kind of embarrassing the NL East. Like with all the drama going on, you know, you got the – you got the Mets yelling at reporters. You got the Phillies yelling at reporters. You got the Marlins being the Marlins. Like it, it, the other three teams in this in this division right now are really really tough to watch to the point where it's like I almost feel bad. Like uh, just slightly almost feel bad because why would you want to tune into such dumpster fires? 
but at the same time, I'm loving every single second of it. It's so weird, and we could legitimately see the other three teams that were in contention to win the East. We could see all three of them fire their managers before the season is done. I'm fully expecting Callaway to be gone because he's just trying to get fired at this point. Um, the Nationals, I don't know that they their GM has to literally be pulling his hair out uh, with Dave Martinez for whatever reason. That is a really talented team. And it's halfway through the season, and they're eight games back of a team that has Scherzer, Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, who they spend a ton of money on. Those three alone have like $140 million deferred over the next few seasons. You're talking about Anthony Rendon, who's just one of the best players in baseball, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, the list goes on and on. And they're one of the, frankly, they've been one of the worst teams to watch day in and day out in the entire National League. The Phillies and Gabe Kapler, I mean, Gabe Kapler's had basically been on the verge of getting fired since like the first game last year, his very first game. He's been basically on the verge of getting fired. Am I am I wrong for thinking none of these three coaches will last long past the All-Star break? I think Matt Clintock just came out and said that Kapler's job is safe through the end of the season, but we'll see. I think that might just be one of those where Kapler was probably thinking, I'm definitely getting fired today you, you know you wake up and you have that idea like 15 20 straight days or however long it'll it'll start kind of getting inside your head and it'll be like a self-fulfilling prophecy but i mean callaway like you said he's going out of his way to get fired you know he he doesn't stand a chance and and davy martinez even even if the nationals won something i mean they fired dusty baker after two consecutive division titles so underachieving for two straight years i mean he he really might not make it so nationals are kind of at a crossroads they really they spent a ton of money on patrick corbin like you said they've got all that all that deferred money and they're not careful they're going to lose anthony rendon truthfully if they're smart they'll trade anthony rendon and then they'll try and re-sign him in the offseason but i'm i'm just here for it right now every every other team is just kind of having their own personal implosions and then the Braves are over here just like don't mind us we're just gonna go put up eight runs a game everything's cool over here you know having a having a great June like this past weekend against the Nats that was the the fifth straight series that they won I mean and even that was just all these different things that are going on like uh, our biggest issue is that we we have awful starting pitching right now for the most part, or, or not even that it's awful. It's just that it's so inconsistent, you know, like you would have never guessed that the Braves would be where they are with all of the, the things that have happened with the starting pitching. But the offense has been so robust and just ridiculous that even having bad pitching, Fulty coming out and giving up eight runs on in four innings on Saturday and just like, yeah, whatever, we got it. Like it's nothing anymore. Yeah, yeah. Just to add on to that, like you look at this Nationals roster, and you know, pretty much every position is kind of set. They have a really nice roster. I don't normally call for the firing of managers just because I don't think they have a massive impact on a game unless the manager is truly awful. But like, I I simply don't understand the results that they're getting at the team. Like, like you highlighted Anthony Rendon. He's like a top 15 player in all of baseball. Uh, funny enough, Howie Kendrick is having an absurd season himself. He's got a 143 WRC+. Like, they're getting good production from good players, yet as a team, they're horrendous. And this might be the first time where I actually understand 
like I could I could get behind the firing manager because like it just doesn't seem it's it's working out with him at all. I I don't get it. Maybe it's just like the collection of egos going on. I'm not sure. Like it doesn't make sense to me. I'm glad it's happening, but like yeah, it, there's no way any of these managers. Well, the Phillies or the Mets really, or actually yeah, all three of them. I, I don't I don't see them hanging along much too much much longer actually. And it's weird too because it's almost like it's a the Dusty Baker curse over there in Washington because and and, and I'm glad you mentioned Dusty Baker, Doc. All you listeners, hold that name in your minds. I'm going to throw something out about Dusty Baker uh in some sort of comparisons in the second segment. Um but it, it, it's you you talked about the Vargas wanting to fight a reporter for Mickey Callaway. One Vargas is like the least likely dude, if you were going to look at that Mets roster and say, who's going to throw <laughs> down with somebody, Jason Vargas would be like the very last person that you would think. He looks like a 10th grade history teacher. Like that's legitimately what he looks like. Uh, I would not have expected him to <laughs> to be throwing down F-bombs uh, talking about I'll knock you out, which was hilarious. Um, but the Mets are the Mets. So I still don't have any idea if Minky Callaway is just horrible uh, or if it's the Mets. Now, I know that he legitimately took practice time away from teaching people like Pete Alonso how to bunt. So I have some thoughts there. But it, it's so weird to me to look at this division and say that the Marlins have been the least embarrassing among all the teams besides the Braves. They've performed exactly to expectations. They, they, they really have. <laughs> and they've let us look at Jordan Yamamoto and Zach Gallen. So, like, the, the Marlins have some guys that you'll actually tune in to watch now. This The Mets, you know the Phillies, about? and the Nationals, like, there's nobody to watch. And that's what sucks about the Marlins. Like, they've brought in some excellent front office hires, and you're seeing the change in who they're bringing up and the and the type of talent that they're getting during, like, the international signing period and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, maybe this team is a team to really worry about because you look at the Nationals and their backloading contracts, like, I'm pretty sure they have 900 million on on the books for like 2052. That's how like I, I don't know how they're going to operate as a franchise pretty soon. And then and then like the Mets and them like there's there's the windows are right now. But then it's the Marlins that like I'm looking at you know maybe potentially five years down the road with some of this talent they're bringing in on the lower levels. Like they might be someone to mess with as opposed to these three teams. It's a it's a weird dynamic in 2019. Like I. This year is just strange, guys. I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm here for the ride, though. How, no. how big of a, an about face are people going to do on Derek Jeter if the Marlins are the number two team in the division in three years? Ooh. I'm here for it. I mean, all, all day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm team chaos all the way. And and you you bring up a really good point. I mean, like the the Phillies farm system, <clears throat> you know they. They've got a couple of guys in there. You know, you've got Alec Bohm and, and Mickey Moniak, who apparently is kind of starting to, to turn into something. Um, Washington, um, like you said, they, they are, are taking themselves at a future viability just with the backloading. The Mets, you know, yeah, they got Brett Beatty and they got Matt Allen and Josh Wolf and everything, but they also just traded away Jared Kilnick. And, uh, and knew Justin you were going to mention that. I was wondering how I, long it would take you to mention that. It's my favorite thing to mention. It's the most Mets thing ever. But then the Marlins, yeah, they got Victor Victor Mesa. They've got really, really good production out of out of Zach Gallon and Jordan Yamamoto. You know, they got crucified for some of the trade returns uh, when they when they traded everybody, and in some cases, rightfully so. But 
you know, some of those guys are turning into good pieces. Sandy Alcantara, you know what I mean? Like these are these are guys that you watch, and they're starting pitching now. Is it with Pablo Lopez and Caleb Smith and everybody's favorite Jose Urania? I mean, their starting pitching has actually been pretty decent. So they've got some building blocks. They've got some trade chips, and uh, yeah. And by the time twenty twenty two rolls around, you could be looking at a Marlins team going, "Wow, they got a really good farm system. They're starting to get pretty good." Not and they mention, you know, just got J.J. Bleday. They apparently they had a great draft. That's actually that's what I was about to say. They took the guy, aside from Adley Rutschman, J.J. Bleday is like the safest bet in the entire draft to be a good player. Except from uh, Makai Backstrom, who I, I know is uh, is Garab's guy. Ooh, man, that perfect game profile. Oh, that is one sexy. And it's not Joe Adele, don't get me wrong, because Joe Adele could actually – Wait, how vulgar can I be on this podcast? <laughs> let me let me let me let me calm it down. Jay, Joe Adele's like perfect game and Diamond Kinetic, Kinetics like page is like porn for baseball. And <laughs> Makai Backstrom is, is close to that in that like the the elite, absolutely elite uh, bat speed, absolutely elite like uh, exit velocity. Like this dude, when he hits is incredible it's just gonna take some time i really hope you sign him i'm i'm kind of sweating it I'm, I'm 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 checking every single day sometimes every like four hours just looking up uh looking up his name on twitter hoping he signs i don't know about you guys but like especially with signings of the other ones of uh what's uh, like what's their name like uh um, caden morton that was my big one Caden-Morton, i'm so happy yeah, they got Vaughn grissom stephen polini like those are you know we're talking high ceiling super raw players backstrom is the top one of the list for me just because he might be a little more raw, but then when you see it together, like it is, it is something to watch. And I really hope it works. I want to hope he signed him too. I really hope it works out for him because his future is super bright. I mean, he, he reminds me of Jason Hayward, his setup, his swing. He is like, he is pure Jason Hayward to me. Well, that's Except, not good. Well, uh, Hayward pre Johnny's fastball to the face. I'm about that. Yeah, or the 2019 Hayward. And I'm so happy. By I, the way, just a little aside, I'm so happy that he's figuring some things out this year. Oh my god, he's he's like my favorite player in baseball. I'm so happy for him. I love him so much. But speaking of those young guys, and I'm going to go off script here. Uh, I do need to mention Kumar Rocker, who 90 percent of Braves fans were really wanting. Early points, of, early points of the high school season where we're really wanting the Braves to get absolutely trucking in the College World Series. And gee, I know he's a big player in your heart right now, but goodness gracious, man, did you see the the, the umpire cam of his slider? I I've been tagged in every single highlight that Kumar Rocker has been on on Twitter, and it's been fantastic. <laughs> it's just great, just like a little backstory for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, Kumar Rocker is half black, half Indian. I'm Indian. You know, the only other Indian people I've ever really seen in Major League Baseball were the two people from the from the movie Million Dollar Arm. You know, the former cricket players that just could throw hard. That's why they decided the Pirates decided to sign him. Never really amounted anything. They could throw like high 80s. Never considered a prospect. They were literally just Indian people in a farm system. Kumar Rocker is just so much more than that. You know, you're seeing what he's doing. He's carving up the, the best talent in, in college right now. Uh, it just, it means so much to me because you look at the history of baseball and for someone like me, uh, there's never been any representation. Like I've never had a thought in my life where it's like, Oh, you know, maybe my son could, could be that first player or not first player, but maybe my son could be, 
you know, a professional baseball player. Like, no, that's never been a thought that pretty much any Indian person has ever had. Kumar Rocker not only is doing it, but he understands the impact he's making on our on, on my culture. I mean, it's been it's been amazing to watch him. And for those of you who are Georgia fans, love it. For those of you who are Georgia fans, he is actually Tracy Rocker's son, uh, former D line coach for Georgia. Uh, so, it, mm-hmm. if you recognize the last name, that's that's where it is. And he's doing it, by the way. And I'm, this is the last thing on Kamar Rocker because we got a ton of stuff to get to. But he's actually doing it with with really diminished velocity because in in the high school season, he was throwing. 95 to 97 would be where he's topping out. He's only topping at about 91, 92 in these last few games. And now he's thrown a lot in this college world series, which I'm guessing is part of it. But the fact that he's doing this with essentially just his slider and he's making these, these guys look like amateurs. He's showing really good command of the fastball. Yeah. You did highlight about the diminished velocity, but I mean, the dude's been throwing like, Complete games, pretty much at the end of the season, right. kind of carrying that vanity team to the championship. Uh, but yeah, that slider is just sexy. It's changed up really nice. He can end up being the top 10 draft pick. I would like, unless there's injury, there's no doubt in my mind he's a top 10 draft pick. And he was going to be anyway. But on from one from one young guy to another, I'm going to come to Fulty a little bit later. But I want to talk about Max Freed because it has been a long time, it seems like, on this show since I've been able to have a Max Freed Love Fest episode. And finally, finally, I can have another one. Uh, the second inning got a little got a little weird where it looked like he lost his mechanics or the wind shifted on him or something, and he walked the bases loaded. But take that inning away, take those three walks away, and it was vintage Max Freed and. I was really excited at the growth that he showed. We know his curveball is an absolute hammer. Uh, we, we, we see it on the Pitching Ninja pitch tracks, and you see when he overlays it with the fastball, and you can see just, just how absurd the break is and when it starts. Last night, he used that slider, and he brought out a cutter, not just a slider, but an actual cutter version as well. He threw those more than I ever remember him using them, and he threw them with more confidence than, I'm seen him, than I've seen him use them with. The slider was that pitch that was really going to help him kind of take that next step. Because, I mean, we talk about two-pitch guys all the time. And how if one if one's not on, then... Then you're a one-pitch. You know, yeah, then you can you can just... If you're a batter, you can just sit back and wait for it. And, it, you know, having the having a slider, having a cutter, I think you know, he's got a change-up in there somewhere. Max Reed is dangerous enough with two pitches. You give him three, four, or like a fifth offering, forget about it, dude. And and yeah, like even even the misses that he had last night were just barely out of the zone. He missed the arm side a lot with the fastball, but and once again, this is where it comes back to having one, two, three, four good off speed offerings or breaking balls that you can throw up there because it's like if you can still throw those for strikes and create some deception between the two, some variety in your velocity and everything, I mean, you can be really dominant. So, um, this is two good starts in a row. The one against the Mets was really good. This particular one was really impressive because uh, outside of that one inning, he was really, really solid. And, uh, you know, five walks, one of them was intentional. Three of them came in one inning. That's You can, you can live with that. And uh, the Cubs lineup is much better than the Mets, top to bottom. So I like that. I like what we saw out of Max last night. And I, and I don't have the, the actual numbers in front of me for the slider usage, but for the last, uh, that's the thing for the last two or three starts that he has really, he has really stepped forward on. So that's huge. If he's got that pitch working, that is huge. Yeah, and, uh, and I think if you look at his numbers too, 
I would say this isn't even what he's capable of. Like he's he's still a ten plus K strikeout per nine guy, and it's it's well below what he normally does. He's less than nine right now. So I think we're just like just getting to the start of what he can be. This guy, I had him, I had him as my number one prospect a few years ago, just because I fully believe in what he can do. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to start seeing him trending up, and he'll end up. You know, I I still think he's going to end up as a as a top pitcher in our rotation. I fully agree. Uh, I I'm really buying into the Cole Hamels comp on him. That curveball is is very similar to what uh, Cole's was. It, it's very similar, and he actually throws a lot harder than Cole. I mean, he's been throwing 98 in like the fifth and sixth inning the last few times out, which is good to see. And I, I just like the poise from Max. Like you can tell when he gets upset, like he gets that set to his mouth, but he doesn't like he doesn't pout the way that Fulty will, which drives me absolutely insane. Um, and I'm I'm totally with you. I am fully on board that Max Freed and Mike Soroka could be two of the best starters, not just for the Braves, would be two of the best starters in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, Ian Anderson could very well be up there as well, but for now, I think Freed and Soroka are my two favorites. Um, it, it, it was really good to see because this Cubs team is a much better offense than they were the first time that, that Freed saw them, and for the most part, he handled them very, very well and went up against Albert Alzale, who had himself a, a really good first start, his second outing, but a good first start as well in the opposite end. Um Luckily for the Braves, the offense did what it needed to do. It didn't really do much the all night, but when they got hits, they made them count with Robert uh, with Ronald Acuna tying Rafael for call with his twelfth leadoff homer. That ties him for second behind Felipe Alou, I believe, who has seventeen leadoff homers. We might see Ronald Acuna break that this year. Wouldn't surprise me at all. How far is he behind Ricky? That's probably a fair number. <laughs> well, I mean, Didn't Ricky, Ricky Henderson like have like eighty? Yeah, Ricky had like over a hundred. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up real quick, y'all. Who do you think, Rob? Yeah. So, do you think uh, you think Acuna could get to eighteen leadoff homers before the season's done? Yeah, that dude can do anything he wants. It is it is amazing to watch him work, and it's it's I and I still think that that's the big reason why the offense has gotten on track it, to to the way that it has, and it's it's just because he's so dynamic in the leadoff spot that it's it kind of infects the rest of the team. Uh, whether whether he comes out and hits a leadoff homer or he just gets on base, he's such a dynamic piece up there at the top of the order that it kind of picks everybody else up behind him. Um, so despite the fact that for whatever weird reason people think guys that hit homers aren't really leadoff guys, there there's not another spot in the lineup that I feel fits a hitter as well as leadoff fits Acuna. Just want to jump in real quick and say Ricky had 81. I was close. Sorry. Yeah. And BGO had 53. But uh, so I don't think Acuna is going to get there um, this year necessarily. But I mean, it's as long as he stays at leadoff, then I don't think it's too far fetched over the course of his entire career. And yeah, to to go to what you were saying just before I, I totally jumped in here and took back over. I mean, he's a spark plug. You know, he's we knew it. We saw it last year. That's why there were so many people who were up in arms when they pulled him out of the leadoff spot to start the season. And then, you know, wouldn't you know, as soon as you put him back there, it's like, oh, yeah, this is still happening. And, and you know, we can what if ourselves uh, to death about about that whole thing. But uh, it's I'm just glad that they eventually made the call. It's been six weeks now. And, you know, 
we were talking about how much distance has been created at the top of the division. We got some breathing room now, and that's directly related to two things. Moving Acuna back up to one and calling up Austin Riley. And to me, that's that's kind of the big point right there. Uh, what what Austin's been able to provide you, and he's he's starting to slow down now. I think everybody knew that that was going to happen. Now the guys have kind of adjusted to him. He's got to adjust back. The slider's giving him fits right now. The good news is the entire offense as a whole is all kind of working in concert together, and it doesn't really matter if one or two guys have an off night or a bad stretch. Everybody else is heating up. I mean, it wasn't so long ago. Like I feel like it was only like 15 games ago that Josh Donaldson was quote-unquote disappointing people uh, and only had like seven homers, and now he's up to 15, and he started to rake. And he's a little bit of a down spell for the last couple games, but been uh, – been been much better. He's starting to get a little bit more luck with with the balls that he's hitting. So it, it's always fun to see the the offense picking everybody else up to where it doesn't kill you when one or two guys are not performing. Yeah, and just to add on to that last thing, well, the thing the last thing you said, you know, people have been ragging on Josh Donaldson. You know, they're ragging on Ozzy Albies a little bit, but lo and behold, they they both got one point. They're both tied for third with one point seven F four. Like. Fancy's kind of the golden boy, and I understand a lot has to do about Josh Donaldson has to do with the money, and he's taking twenty three million and whatever. You're wrong about that, but uh, <laughs> like these dudes are just producing, and like it's time to recognize it. I, I sent out a I sent out a tweet like three weeks ago about Ozzy, and I said, come you know mid July, he's probably gonna end up second again. And lo and behold, the dude's been on fire like crazy. He's back to third on the team in F4, like. It's great, and that's exactly what's happening. You see O'Reilly take that step down, but if there's one player in the entire organization that's shown his propensity to overcome, mis- not mistakes, but like having to adjust, it's freaking Austin Riley. So like, I'm not even remotely worried about that. If he's going to have that kind of first half, like what kind of second half is he going to have? Because we all see what he's done in the Niners. Like, there's a lot to like about this team, and they're going to be under contract for a very long time, and I'm very happy. Yeah, the the Josh Donaldson thing, I know that it complicated a lot for not just saying, well, you know, what are you going to do with Camargo? And we're going to touch on on Camargo and and all that in in the second half of this. And also saying, you know, you're going to block Austin Riley long term. And uh, and everybody's concerns about him were completely warranted about you. We were giving him a lot of money to come off of an injured year. And, uh, you know, so many people just immediately rushed to he's washed up. He's old all these different things. And even when he wasn't hitting, he was playing spectacular defense. And there couldn't have been a ton of Braves fans that were too mad about it because Donaldson wound up being one of the finalists for the all-star at third base. So people were obviously showing up and voting for him. But, you know, that tear he was on, ever since he got thrown out by Joe Musgrove and and shoved the, uh, the Pirates catcher, that's like that kind of lit a fire under his ass. And the next thing you know, he's doubled his home run total inside of like, 10 days he's mega hype you can tell that he's like he's bonding with the team now it was almost like he didn't know kind of what his role was going to be for the first little bit and we're three months into the season now and he's figured out like i felt some weird kind of tension between him and dansby playing on the left side of the infield but now it's like they're kind of going back and forth and it's like they they figured it out he knows where he's supposed to be now and he can produce and you see the video of him really working on his follow-through and and working on hitting off-speed pitches. And then video comes out of uh, Bryce Harper getting interviewed when Gabe Kapler is going to install a curveball pitching machine, and he's just like, yeah, I don't do that. 
you know, so so Donaldson's going out of his way to make sure he can hit, and Harper's like, yeah, I got paid, whatever. We're in second place. That's good enough. So it's uh, careful how you how you spend your money. I get why people were upset about that deal, but it, they could have been a lot worse. Also, more more importantly, uh, every single really really good team has one guy that everyone hates, and it seems that that guy is becoming Josh Donaldson, and the Braves are going to have all these amazing, hilarious players, and then one like badass that everyone's afraid of. And that's exactly what's happening. So we're a team of destiny, I'm calling it. Yeah, you could say that Josh Donaldson is our version of Wilson Contreras. Yeah. Yeah. Deal. Yep. <laughs> uh, I bring that name up because obviously everybody saw the dust up. If you didn't watch the game, then you saw it on SportsCenter the next day. Um, very weird moment. I don't know what precipitated the whole thing. I don't know if Wilson was just taking exception to some some calls on the corners or if he didn't really like when Josh Donaldson shushed the bench and decided that he was going to take it out <laughs> on the team. Like I, I don't that know where hilarious. it all started, but Will, this is not the first time that Wilson Contreras has started some problems. And as Jeff Francoeur told you guys, he cleared the benches with uh, with Wilson Contreras back in 2016. Wilson's been kind of known for that. He's a dude that is very, very emotional. And his teammates have said it, that he's a guy that you love him when he's on your team. And if he's on the opposing team, you pretty much want to punch him in the face. Uh I don't know that that whole dust up was really weird. Uh, a lot of people were, were evoking the whole Brian McCann and Carlos Gomez thing uh, as far as, oh, you got to let him have fun. Well, see, maybe I'm in the minority. Hopefully I'm not. I was actually happy when Brian stood up to Carlos Gomez like that because I thought he was being a total douchebag. Uh, and I felt the same thing about Tyler Flowers. Whenever you turn and yell at the catcher, like – I'm fine. I'm fine with him bumping the ch- uh, pounding his chest at the dugout. I'm fine with him sprinting around the bases. I'm fine fine with bat flips. But when you turn around and like yell at the catcher for something like that, one's a little bit off for me. So I'm not. I'm not really sure. Now, granted, Tyler could have totally been talking a ton of stuff to him behind the plate, which would not shock me. Catchers say some very disgusting things to uh, to hitters in the batter's box, so that wouldn't shock me. But just eyeballing it, it was a very weird situation and. Uh, this is one of the few times where, like, I'm. I guess I'm going to sound like old man yelling at the clouds, but I thought the Braves were were justified in doing what they did. Yeah, well, the whole. The, I was going to say. I was going to say the whole thing was super weird to me. Like anyone that knows me knows that if I was ever on a major league baseball field and I made contact with a ball, it doesn't even matter if it's a foul tip, I'd be throwing that bat up and like doing flips around the bases while they call me out, like. That's the kind of person I am. I don't give. I don't. I don't really care about that. Like I love athletes, all that kind of stuff. I love personality, but like that whole thing was just super weird. I, I, I like something must have happened between Tyler and, and Wilson for him to react in that way. I think it was a little. Uh, I thought it was a little much. So I didn't care. I, like I, I was fine with Tyler getting like a little choppy when he got back to home. Uh, yeah, I, I can't re- recall something like that happening before. So I think I'm still not necessarily shocked, but trying to really understand what all unfolded two days ago. And when, you know, the, the thing where he turned around and he said something to flowers, apparently that was about like uh, a frame job that, that flowers had done on the previous pitch. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, the strike zone was uh, fluid. We'll say it was, there was a weird one, but, but like it, you as a catcher, you can't yell at another catcher for a frame job necessarily because I mean it just seems like if if you want the call then frame it better. But then when he was 
rounding first and he's like pounding his chest and it looked like he was screaming into the Braves dugout. Like, what are you doing? What what they do? You know, if you got beef with flowers, that's one thing, fine. But the thing that stood out to me the most was Chip Carey was like, he had a really good opportunity to make a point. And, and a lot of people have problems with Chip. I don't have any problem with Chip. But he's like, well, if you want to let the kids play, well, this is what you're going to get. Well, it's like, okay, okay, let's let's break that down for a second. You can make that statement and have it be true and not be a tool about it. Because, yeah, guys that are super demonstrative, they, they're really flamboyant, they play with a lot of flair. Yeah, okay, you sure, you are going to get some guys that are hot-headed, but like, you also, you look at guys like Acuna and Aldi's and they just, they play with all the joy. You know what I mean? Like, this is different. Contreras is like, I'm about to fight 24 people, <laughs> 30 if you if you count the coaching staff. He's basically like the Cubs version of Yasiel Puig, you know, and I don't, I don't have any problems with, with the let, let the kids play thing just because I think it's like, this is how you're going to appeal to the next generation. But like, there, there is a line. There is a very fine line between, like I said, just being demonstrative and being an absolute tool well, see, about the way you go about things. What I would say to that point is uh, pretty sure that the older generations had a whole lot more brawls than this current generation. Not even close, man. Like, Definitely. Uh, I'm not mistaken that Nolan Ryan threw at people's heads and then beat the piss out of them when they charged the mound, right? Like, I didn't forget that that happened. I mean, you just look at some of these Twitter comments and reply to this. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a ball at his penis. Like, come on, dude. Seriously, like, <laughs> calm, calm down. <laughs> All right, it's baseball. Calm down. And I'm a guy that's yeah. never going to be against like throwing at a batter. I'm never gonna be in that camp of oh, it's so barbaric and how dare you? Because I'm not a hypocrite and I love football, so I'm not gonna be that guy that's like baseball are barbarians for throwing a ball. Now let me go watch this dude and this dude run into each other at 25 miles an hour head on. Uh, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to be that guy. Um, but there's there's etiquette when you go about it. Like You don't hunt above the shoulders and you, you don't go for the knee. Outside of that, it's fair game. It'll, it'll wear off. It'll be fine. Um, but what, what, what is talked about with letting the kids play it's more of the way that it's done. Like it's not just necessarily bat flips. Not all bat flips are created equally. Like you brought up Acuna and Ozzy and the way they do it. And a lot of the young guys today, when they flip, it's not like, like they're not flipping and like screaming at everybody. They're flipping and they're, you know, they're happy and stuff like that. Back in the old day, which is what you saw with Wilson Contreras there. It was all angry. And, uh, like the Louisville pitcher who, um, I thought went a step too far uh, at the end of one inning and then got walked off on, which I thought was hilarious karma. Uh, looking kind like squints. Po- poetic justice. Yes, bit, yeah. very much. But like that type of attitude is an old school attitude. And I, I That's one of the things that irritates me when they talk about oh, back in the day, nobody would ever do that. Like there's, there's video of Mickey Mantle flipping a single or flipping a walk, dude, like calm down. It's just that he was Mickey Mantle. So nobody did anything. I mean, Dan Winkler bat flipped a bunch, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and yeah, there's like, I said, it, it makes the game more interesting, you know, seeing, seeing the guys that are, that are super pumped about everything, but, the, and then there's also like where it gets ill spirited and like benches clearing and everything. Like you, you just never, it goes back to what we were saying about like all of the different dumpster fires in the division. Like when you try and picture those things coming from the Braves side, you know, picture the Mets thing 
where Brian Snick or Anthony Swarzak is is defending Brian Snicker saying he's going to fight Dave O'Brien. Like it just, it doesn't match in this clubhouse. And it's the same thing for like, you're not going to see Brian McCann turn around and start barking at Elias Diaz or something. As soon as he pimps a home run, you know, there's a certain level of professionalism that comes with it, I guess. And that, and that's the line. Like you can have fun, but don't, and don't be a dick. Somebody up, Golden rule. Can, don't be a dick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's all it comes. It's all it really comes down to. So let the kids play, but don't let the kids be dicks. <laughs> right. It's like the. It, sometimes you got to take the bully out to the woodshed. That's about what you do. But uh, one more one more thing, and I promise we'll get to break. Uh, I wanted to. T- you've got this written down about Sean Newcomb here, and um, I think I fully agree with this. Don't ever take Sean Newcomb out of a bullpen role. As a matter of fact, move him deeper into the bullpen. Like let him be my eighth or ninth guy. I love what I'm seeing from Newcomb out of the bullpen. And I wasn't sure that I would say that. Uh, Doc, I think you and I both had reservations. I thought that the bullpen would work because if he was off, you'd know early and you could pull him. But he hasn't been off at all. It seems like ever since he's gone into that bullpen role, he's been a totally different guy. He's won two batters in 20 innings. You know, like that was the biggest knock on Newcomb was that he, you know, he's got these these massive control issues. And now you take him, you just put him in the bullpen and like he just, looks different you know Freed talked about the bullpen mentality and it changes um it changes the way that you go about things but i'm just looking at nukem i'm like you don't need to make this guy a starter anymore like and i i yeah we both went on and said his stuff's not gonna play up in the bullpen it's not gonna work i think we both just said don't do it it's not gonna work and then they did it and we're like ah this isn't gonna work and now it's working and i'm like i'm so happy to eat crow and you're actually seeing some emotion you're like when he was a pitcher, you he was very blank faced. He almost had the Eli Manning dumb face. But now now that he's in the bullpen, like you can see the scowl. Like he's actually showing uh when he when he gets angry and stuff like that, which for some pitchers is a detriment, but I think it's a good thing for Sean. And if he turns into if he turns into something like he could really end up being like an Andrew Miller or a Josh Hader type with here's the asterisk. If he continues on the track that he is now because those two guys are both insanely good, um, but that's kind of where he's trending. Andrew Miller was kind of the same way, a failed starter that was totally different out of the bullpen. That may just be where Sean fits best. What do you think about this, Yarov? Yeah, where are you? Yeah, so like, I'm pretty sure if you go back on my Twitter, you'll you'll see vivid tweets of me saying Sean Newcomb can never go to the bullpen because it'd be a horrible mistake. I have never been so happy to be so wrong and whenever i'm like negative on a prospect the only like i always hope i'm i'm even crow and that's what i'm doing right now like his walk rate is the lowest it's been ever for him professionally since his first year when he started in like the gcl like i don't know what caused it i don't understand why shifting maybe it's like all all mental for him but the shift to the bullpen we've actually seen his walk rate go down you expect it to go up because you think okay, maybe he'll walk like one batter, but then when you're putting in one inning and you're walking, your walk rate's going to go up. No, like none of this makes sense to me. I absolutely love it. His 335 innings, his F4 is almost as high as it's ever been in his career. Like he's killing it there. I don't want him to move outside that role. I think I don't, I don't, I don't want to touch him. Just don't, don't change anything. I swear if someone hits him in the head again with a baseball, I'm going to charge that that battery, even though it's not been a problem because something happened to this guy and it's just, it's clicking on all cylinders. I would love to see his strikeout rate go back up. Like 
it's starting to dwindle down. This is now the lowest it's been in quite some time. And I understand. And again, you expect that to go to kind of be up when he's facing fewer hitters. So that's like a little bit of a warning sign for me. But I mean, really, he's getting pretty solid ground ball rate, almost forty five percent. His home run per nine is is like pretty pretty good too. Like, just keep at it, man. Don't don't move him out that role. Keep him there. If you want to use him in high leverage situations, then like. And honestly, I think he deserves that now. Like, he deserves a high-leverage eighth, possibly ninth-inning situations because he's shown this entire season he's up to the task. I, I, again, I don't get it, but I love it. I need to know what happened because it seemed like he took all of Tukey's mojo and he's, like, storing it in his gigantic 6'5 frame because when this season started, and I've long been a, 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 of the belief that Tukey Toussaint ends up as the Braves' closer, like uh, Rysel Iglesias, which has always been kind of my comp towards him. Um, but Tukey has been, I don't want to say he's been bad because there's been some times where he's been absolutely incredible, but he's been very inconsistent and it's, it's very hard to tell which Tukey you're going to get because it, it's almost like everybody knows that Tukey's real plus pitch is that curveball, and his fastball is good, but it's almost like it, it doesn't move a lot. And if guys are hitting it, they're hitting it a long way. It's it's kind of similar to it's kind of similar to Nukes when Nuke was a starter, and that's when you're talking about his uh, his strikeout rate. I'd have to go and look at uh, look at Savant because I don't have it pulled up right now. But just eyeballing it, it would look like Nuke's spin rate on this fastball is, is fairly low. It's a little bit not quite Lucas Sims level where it's literally on one plane the entire time. Um, but uh, we don't want to put that mojo on anybody, right? But. With with Tukey, I was I'm I've been a little disappointed in him, and there's been some starts where I've been like, this guy's an ace, this guy's the next super, this guy's the next superstar, but then he'll come out the next time out and just nothing seems to work. And I I don't know if if this is a Nick Markakis Ryan Flaherty situation where Newcomb has just taken his entire mojo uh, like Austin Powers and just hoarded it for himself, but whatever it is, I need Tukey to figure it out and be more consistent at least because I don't want to look dumb for saying that. No, I, I I don't think he will. I think over time, like, it seems like he just gets in his head a whole lot because he'll he'll start missing with his mechanics and uh, he'll start missing, like, where, where to plant his foot and stuff like that, and everything just kind of, like, almost kind of falls apart. It's, it's like what we're seeing out of Kyle, right? I think both of them right now is super mental because when they're on, like, these guys are number one. There's no doubt about it. When they're absolutely hitting on, firing on all cylinders, they're your premier talent. They're, like, top of the rotation guys and neither of them are that right now. Uh, I hope, you know, sometime like, I hope Kyle Wright actually doesn't come back to the majors. Cause I don't, I just don't think he's ready for it mentally. Uh, Tukey, I would love to see them work in more, but like, yeah, I, I disagree with you when you said you see him as a closer. I still think he belongs in the rotation, but we just got to get over that mental hurdle, whatever it is for me. The reason I've always thought of him more in the bullpen is that, his fastball, his command had gotten a lot better last year, but his command of his fastball is never going to be a strong point. He, he's always going to have a tendency yeah. to miss arm side a lot, and you can get away with that in the pen because his curveball and his changeup are, and well, his split change are both good enough to wipe out people in shorter innings. I do have questions about that long term. Like I think if I think in the rotation, if he were to hit. And, and if you're talking about him being uh, a number one or a number two, I think he has to hit almost his exact ceiling. I think he'd be more likely mm-hmm. to slot in as like a, a Lance Lynn type three 
Not quite the same ERA as Lance Lynn, but that type of guy who can generate a ton of strikeouts, but is going to have starts every once in a while. Or maybe John Gray would be a better example of a guy that's going to generate a ton. But just, I think, I think that's a great comparison, actually. Just sometimes you have no. Sometimes he has zero idea where it's going. That that's it. The thing about Cookie was was always his rawness. Like ever since he got drafted, it was this guy's ceiling. There, there is no ceiling. But it's going to take a lot of patience to get there. And you you look at guys like Lucas Giolito now who just struggled, struggled, struggled for years as soon as they finally got to the major league level, had to refine a couple things, and now doing fantastic. I mean, it's, it's going to be a similar thing with Tukey because he was still – he started last year in Mississippi. You know what I mean? So he's not he's not that far removed from from still spending substantial time in the minors. And, and it's the same thing with Wright. I mean, he was – great in spring training, but he's got some stuff to work out still. So even if they're struggling right now, and God knows Kyle Wright is absolutely struggling right now. And so is Tukey. The last five or six outings have not been, have not been marvelous, but, uh, but they, they still have the ceilings, you know, they still have all the talent to get that stuff done. So anybody who is uh, giving up on Kyle Wright, and I know that there's plenty of you out there and anybody who's giving up on Tukey, um, you know, don't forget that you had given up on Sean Newcomb two months ago, and and it just takes finding the right role for somebody sometimes. I think that's absolutely important. These guys are all still young, and they're all very high ceiling. A lot of them were guys that were that the only reason the Braves were able to acquire them is because they were raw. Uh, so so it will take some longer time. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about. Uh, I don't want to overreact, but it may be one of the dumbest quotes I've ever heard from a baseball manager. Uh, ever in my entire life forever and we're going to talk about it next coming up here on the platinum sombrero this week's episode of the platinum sombrero podcast is brought to you by the happy beginnings massage parlor let's face it life is hard and sometimes you just don't have any time to waste so here at happy beginnings you can come right in and get down to business we'll get you in and out lickety split if life's got you by the balls we can too we can help you release your stress and then some and if you're feeling overextended our service can't be beat afraid to ask don't be don't beat around the bush that's our job stop in today for a good old-fashioned rubdown if you need it we'll need it we've even been bestowed with the highest possible honor the robert Kraft seal of approval happy beginnings because who's got time to wait for a happy ending patent pending All right, everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our good buddies at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is one of the top online ticket retailers around. They have a handy, easy-to-use app with a very, very intelligent algorithm that goes through and it scans all the tickets in your seats and it will tell you everybody else's reviews on those types of seats. So you can figure out if they're a good seat, a horrible seat, and you can figure out what you should be paying for them. They'll have it color-coded so it's nice and easy and you can't really under, you can't really screw it up. Green for good, yellow for okay, red for bad. If it's red, then you're paying too much money for that seat. SeatGeek.com makes it very easy. The handy app makes it even easier, so you can take it around on all of your smartphones, uh, your tablets, wherever it may be. And it's not just for buying tickets. It's for selling as well. If you don't know how much you should be charging for a ticket, you can look on SeatGeek and you can see what tickets in your section are going for. So don't ever 
get confused with trying to sell your tickets again. SeatGate makes it fast and easy. And if you use our promo code ACAA, they're going to give you $20 off at checkout. That's like two beers at a ballpark. You can try Frenchie's Blues, and then you can have another one because it is really good. Go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code ACAA, life's a game, and we have the tickets. All right, so before the break, I, I teased about the quote that I think might be one of the dumbest quotes I've heard this year. Um, I'm going to table that for a bit because I'm, that's going to get me really hot and bothered, So I, and I know it's going to, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the all-star balloting first because that's the happiest thing to talk about as the Braves have, what, seven of the starting eight are in the all-star balloting, and the only reason that Austin Riley is not is because he doesn't have enough games. I mean, everybody, literally every Brave but Austin Riley has a chance to be a Brave starter. Now, if you guys are hearing this on Friday, the voting is already concluded. I can only hope that you guys were awesome enough to vote and vote as often as you could. I'm sure you guys did because you guys are all Star Wars Braves fans. Um, but I wanted to ask Doc and G, how many of the seven, because it's unrealistic to think all seven are going to start, um, how many starters do you think the Braves get? I, I could see four. I could realistically see four. I don't think that McCann is going to take it. I don't think Marcagas is going to take it. Um, I'm looking at Ozzy, Acuna, Freddie starting, and maybe Dansby as well. I don't think Donaldson gets in. Uh, part of it is just because Arenado is having an amazing year and also the Cubs effect. Uh, with with Bryant being being in there as well, which is I also don't think uh, McCann is able to to leapfrog Contreras, but I, I'm, I really think I don't think four is too incredibly far fetched. G, what about you? Are we is it going to be a clean sweep seven for seven? Uh, no, uh, no, not at all. I could I could realistically I think it's two. I, I think it's Acuna and Freeman probably get to start. I think they're also the two that are deserving to start. Um, Ozzy kind of on that edge. I I, I don't think. I, Honestly, I think Baez should get to start a second over Ozzy just because he's performing at an absolutely nuts level right now. Uh, I could see Ozzy just based on votes getting in, and I would make it three. Uh, the seven or the eight, no. No, I, I don't think it's fair, really, to the other people in the NL for, for them to get starts. Like, there's so many really high-performing players in this league right now. Yelich and Bellinger absolutely have to be in the outfield. If they're not, it's kind of a joke uh <laughs> like i i just don't get it it's really hard for me with free well not it's not i think freeman should get the start no matter what but like alondo definitely deserves it as well uh third base has to be rendon uh you know it, it's i hate saying this because you know I, I would prefer it to be a clean sweep just like the hawks did in the all-star game a few years ago where they sell in all the players and you have an entire atlanta hawks roster on the All-Stars, like, that was such an amazing moment. And to see, like, eight Atlanta Braves players trot out from the dugout onto the field would be incredible to see. But is it deserved? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I guess just to briefly recap, I'd say Acuna, Freeman, and maybe Ozzy could start. I think it's three. I think it's – I. by the way, Baez is a shortstop this year, not second base. Uh, yeah, so, that, yeah. so Dansby has no shot at starting. Um, I think – Acuna and Freeman definitely deserve it. Second base, I think Ozzy gets it just because the other two names are not really household names. The guy that I think deserves it the most is Cattell Marte in Arizona. Um, but I don't think he's got the name enough to get there. And number three right now is Mike Moustakis. 
Um, a lot of people forget that he's actually playing second base and not third base this year. But uh, I, I think I think Ozzy's the most likely to wrap that up because he's kind of the most well known. Um, if the outfield is anything but Bellinger, Yelich, and Acuna, then it's then they should just scrap the entire fan vote. It, it's kind of cool because most of these positions they're not just give me positions. There's a lot of great players competing for them. You talk about the outfield. This is the easiest outfield vote ever. But first base, there's some real questions about who deserves to start, whether it's Freddie Freeman, who I think does, or Josh Bell, who's had an incredible season, or Anthony Rizzo, who's been great. Uh, You move over to shortstop. Trevor Story has been incredible. Paul DeYoung somehow got snubbed and didn't even make it into the starters vote, and Paul DeYoung's had a great season. There's been a lot of great play. Yeah, the point that you were bringing up about like how are you going to look at Josh Bell's numbers or, or Pete Alonso's numbers or and and say sorry you don't get to start here you're you're not having a good enough season, you know. But as as far as the merit of the All Star Game, I mean it's an event for the people, so it makes sense the fans get to vote. But unfortunately, what happens is you know you look in every position just about it's the Braves fans versus Cubs fans. It's like a couple years ago when the Royals. You know, you were talking about the Hawks having basically an entire team on the on the court at one time, and it's the same thing with what the Royals were doing, where it's like Omar Infante is hitting 191, and he got voted as a starting shortstop in the American League, um, or, or something something really close to that. So it's the uh, the whole. I like what they did with the the process this year about how they've got kind of the primary. They narrowed it down so it's not just like herding cats and. You know, you're getting write-in votes for, like, Bobby Valentine or, or like, you know, Ozzie Smith finished, like, 15th in the shortstop voting because a contingent of Cardinals fans wanted to write his name in or something. So it's uh, it seems like it's a better idea for this year, but it's always going to be kind of – it's never going to give you the full gauge of who's really best at the position because it's really just who do people want to see, you know, which is – and even this, when I went and voted, I voted for all Braves and Christian Yelich because – does Nick Marquez deserve it over Cody Bellinger? No, but he's a brave, and I voted for him. So, <laughs> you know, it's the weird stuff like that jumps up. You know, should Dansby star over Baez? No, but I voted for him because he's my guy. So, so you know, and and once again, Cattell Marte. You were talking about Cattell Marte. Numbers wise, he's hitting three fourteen, three sixty three, five eighty four with twenty home runs. He has accumulated more. F war this season than he did both of the last two years combined in a third of the time. And you Dude, still, he's, got higher, at, he's got a higher OPS than Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and Trevor Story and Yasmani Grandal and Ronald Acuna. Yeah, he's worth more F war than anybody on the Braves by a significant margin. And people aren't going to vote for him because they're like, tell Marte, isn't he just that small guy that the Diamondbacks got from, from Seattle? You know, so he's. It's weird. The whole the whole thing is weird. And uh, going strictly by numbers, and yeah, Marte takes it, Marte takes it over Ozzy all day long. But there, you don't have a lot of super passionate Diamondbacks fans when it's stacking up against the Braves. And and same thing with the Brewers. I mean, that's a really small market. So Mustakas, even considering the year he's having, you know, he he wouldn't have made it if not for for having a good year. But this is Braves fans' year again to be obnoxious like Royals fans were. So. We're going to get our couple guys in there. We're going to do everything we can. And who knows? Maybe anybody that doesn't wind up getting voted in will wind up getting selected as a bench player. That would be cool to see the Braves have like six total players. Uh, But you did mention a little bit last segment about the Braves offense is kind of coming back down to earth. And 
that's to be expected. You can't score eight runs a game for an entire season. Uh, and I've talked about that on the Locked On show pretty much all this week and a little bit last week as well. Um, the The question with this Braves offense, as much as I've loved watching them, the question has always been, can this pitching staff survive when the Braves are not scoring them eight runs a game? Now, luckily for Max Freed, I think last night was like the first start all year where, where the Braves offense hasn't gotten at least four runs. Like, He's averaging like 7.1 runs per game for his starts. But some of the, the it's bailed out a lot of the rest of the guys. It's bailed out Fulte a number of times. It bailed out Gosman a ton when he was still in the rotation. What And I, I do think this offense is the type of offense that can average four or five runs a game for, for the whole season. That I do fully believe that this lineup is capable of that. But I don't, I don't want this offense to hide the deficiencies and people ignore the fact that there are deficiencies just because the offense is performing. So with that said, I wanted to ask both of you, let's say the offense becomes a little bit more average and they're no longer scoring 10 a game. Um, What is the most concerning part of this team for you guys? Go ahead, Groff. Yeah, for me, it's got to be starting pitching. Uh, You're seeing, you're seeing the development and the, and the, and to, to be more of kind of not necessarily what we expected. Like there's been so much turnover back there. That's pretty much not the same uh, bullpen to start the season. And it's kind of exactly what, you know, I want to say to easily, I could, I could easily say that the three of us on the show were kind of asking for, you, you know, you're not really comfortable with who we are. We threw out that at the beginning of the season. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other, whole other thing it's the starting pitching for me that's that's really weak i think it really hinges on dallas keichel if he's able to turn into you know the, the keichel of um 2015 you know, well, especially if it's 2015 that'd be absolutely marvelous but that's not even what i'm asking for just someone to stabilize pick up that number three starter spot that is kind of vacant you know you know you have freed and syrup you know what they're going to do you know what they what they're capable of and everyone else is kind of you know tehran started off real high and then he became what we kind of expected. Uh, it's it's up for grabs. There's still a lot of holes. I would love to see us try and obtain another starting pitcher. Just because I don't, don't necessarily think. Uh, we just I don't want to say this, but I'm not intimidated by the starting pitching at all after Soroka or Freed. I think the rest of them, you could easily see. You could easily see them taking the loss if the offense isn't playing up to the, the potential. Um, if Keiko can take that big step and become the formidable number three, you know, just those consistent, you know, mid three ERA, mid, maybe mid three sip, that kind of thing, provide inning. We're talking about a, a, a team that could make a much bigger play in the playoffs than what is currently constructed. Because again, I, if I'm a hitter, I'm not fearing anyone outside of those top three guys. I think I can actually beat any other outside of those top three guys. Agreed a thousand percent. I mean, the, the bullpen, you know, the bullpen takes a lot of flack, but recently, you know, this current core that they've got out there has been real good. Like we were, we were talking about uh, in, in the first segment about, you know, Nuke has been great. Anthony Swarzak, and we can't say enough about what he's done um, there. It's been, it's been much better. It's still a bullpen so that you're going to have some issues out there. But I mean, when you look at the starting pitching, if you do have the top three of Soroka, Freed, and Keuchel, then that is solid. That really, really is solid. And and Soroka is going to back up a little bit, you know, just because he 
he was doing so well at the, at the first part of the year that even if he, he isn't able to duplicate that, it's not necessarily his fault. It's just kind of the way things go. Breed appears to be back on the horse, and if the evolution of the slider and the cutter and change up, if all of that can start playing in, you're looking at really special top two. Keichel, he's not flashy, but he's really solid. I still think you got to get one more guy. And y'all, y'all know how I feel about all the talk about Madison Bumgarner. It's not like he would torpedo this team if the Braves were to get him, but I just want to see somebody say, here's an idea for a starting pitcher that doesn't involve Madison Bumgarner. Like, I, know get, I would take Madison Bumgarner if I actually only had to give up what he's worth. Well, and that's, that's, yeah, that's the question is like, how much are they really going to ask for? So whether it's Stroman or uh, the Rangers fall back and they make Mike Miner or Lance Lynn, who we're just talking about Cattell Marte having a season that nobody expected. How about Lance Lynn being the second most valuable starting pitcher in all of baseball this year? Hashtag, and, by and the way, a, hashtag never and, Stroman. Well, the, and you see, that's, and that's the thing. You watch Stroman on the mound, it's like, wow, this is this guy would fit perfect in the clubhouse. But then you start hearing about some of the other stuff, it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> maybe not. You know, and that that's where I'm like, that's where the humanitarian side kicks in, and I'm like, but it's not the dog's fault. He didn't do anything. Don't punish the dog. So, and it's it's weird. So, you know, maybe maybe it's Matt Boyd. Maybe it's. Um, yeah, who knows? Sonny Gray, the, maybe. Sonny Gray's been. As much as I didn't like Sonny Gray and didn't want him at all, uh, somehow this year he's not giving up home runs. Him or Tanner Roark, they're not giving up home runs in Great American Small Park, which is amazing. Um, which is amazing. All right. Well, they also, the, the Reds just uh, extended Gray in the offseason. So I think that they, they have intentions of keeping him around for a long time. But whether whether it's one of those guys or the, the Braves wind up getting Matt Boyd, I think you need one more guy in there. So then, like if Gossman comes back and he is pitching like 2018 Gossman or Fulte comes back and he seems to kind of have his mojo about him or Julio can find a happy medium between the extremes, you know, then, then you still feel really good. And then you've got five starters by the time the playoffs roll around, then you're really only going to be pitching your top three, but it doesn't hurt to have somebody else being like the stabilizing force. Or if you get somebody and Dylan, you're going to hate me for this, but if you, you say you get a Matt Boyd and you decide to roll with, Soroka, Boyd, Keuchel in the playoffs, and you you put Freed back in the bullpen, which I'm, not a, which I'm not a proponent of. And this comes back to innings limits. You know what I mean? So, but having a guy like that, or or getting a guy like let's let's just use Stroman as an example. Um, if you have somebody who's a starter that is in the bullpen that you can still feel comfortable about, basically doing how the Indians did it a couple years ago, and everybody nobody's pitching like starter with traditional bullpen roles it's like you're going to pitch four innings you're going to pitch three innings and then you're going to pitch two innings and in two days you're going to pitch four and you're going to you know you're going to spread the love out which is one good thing about this bullpen about the fact that all these guys can go multiple innings so uh yeah for me the biggest thing is starting pitching i'm not worried about the offense i'm not worried about the defense and strange as it might seem i'm not as worried about the bullpen of course we're recording this on wednesday there's two games left to be played so uh, I could be really just kicking myself for saying that by the time this episode gets released. I'd, all, I'd be all in on Matt Boyd. I know he's going to cost the most of all the starting pitchers that are out there. I don't really care. I think he's the best one that's on the block. I think he makes the most sense for the Braves. Still has a ton of control, and he's a lefty that strikes out over 11 per nine. Give me all of Matt Boyd. I think 
it's just unrelated to Matt Boyd. My favorite thing that happened yesterday was Swartek working, like coming into that intensely high leverage situation and getting out unscathed. Everyone on Twitter was going nuts. I go over to his, his fan craft page just to see what, exactly what he's been doing. And he's sitting that negative point two F4. Like, I, I'm sorry yeah. I asked about that. I actually tweeted about that. Like, what he's done since the Braves have obtained him is completely different than what he's done, like, Dude, he was of his career. he was horrendous <laughs> in Seattle. Like he had a five eighty ERA, and you're thinking, all right, Seattle's defense sucks. They probably weren't helping him out. The defense had saved him three runs. He had like an eight ten FIP. I like kudos to AA. Like, there's literally no way you could have told me he would have become what he is right now. Like, no way. I would have. You could have just been like, you could have shown me data that showed exactly what would happen if he would. It, like you could have literally showed me his exact line from when he became a, a, an Atlanta Braves player, and I'm like, no, no way, like no. Like I, st- I'm like, still waiting for it, it to stop. I'm still waiting for him to turn into Shane Carl and it just blow up on exactly. him. Exactly. But for for now, it's been very much needed because Luke has been a little less reliable lately than most of us would like. That's why I do think the bullpen most certainly is going to get addressed. I think it's definitely going to be one player. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to being two players, but. Um, Running out of time here on the show, and this uh, I want this to have enough time to, to really get into it. Um, going back to Sunday, after Camargo hits the walk-off in the 10th inning, hit the walk-off two-run homer, um, or the game winner, not a walk-off, I'm sorry. We were in Washington, so the go-ahead two-run homer. Um, somebody, and I, I don't know if it was McAlpin who asked the question, uh, but somebody asked Snicker about, you know, now that Camargo is finally starting to normalize with his BABIP and he's starting to get some luck again uh, about getting him some starts. And Snicker had said, he'd said, that's not the way our lineup is constructed, which dumb thing to say. Uh, he went on for a little bit longer than that. And then DOB, who has made it like a personal quest to like fight with every Braves fan who's mad with Brian Snicker right now this week. Uh, he, he actually did do the journalistic thing and asked Brian, asked Brian Snicker about that. And, and Brian, um, Brian elaborated a little bit and you can read his tweets on his page, or I guess I could pull them up for you and tell them myself, uh, essentially going through and doubling down on what he said, which to, to me, it just was not a smart it's not a smart thing like basically saying that the lineup is not built to handle a super utility player that guys that his guys are programmed to play and he used that term verbatim uh, programmed to play as if other guys are not programmed to play it just didn't make any sort of sense to me and when you're talking about snicker he does a lot of things that i love a lot of things that I think a lot of other managers don't do. Like when you talk about how much his team loves him, I think that that's, that's not something you can teach. That's something that's innate. The ability to inspire people is not something that you just learn. Um, but you get to stuff like this, and it drives me up the wall. I have to go last on this. <laughs> I gotta send out on a positive note. I gotta try. Garab, you gotta jump in on this, dude. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand how that could actually be a single thought a human being is capable of having. Uh, the way that this roster is actually created allows for that. That's the whole reason you created this roster. 
you have so much flexibility on the bench, uh, on a bench filled with people, filled with players that are performing at really, really high levels. Like, it's the perfect opportunity to do it. It's the perfect opportunity to, to give your, your starters rest. Well, you have this, I, I, okay, I'm going to try and understand it from the other point of view somehow. The only way I can somehow understand it is that because the team is winning, they want to build as big of a lead as they can right now. And then second half, maybe they're going to start resting a little. I don't think that's correct. I, I don't understand that line of thinking either. Like Charlie Colvis and Camargo, Joyce, like these are players on the bench that you could plug into high lever situations that can perform on the field as well. And you're saying that the roster isn't cr- what? Like I could go on and on and on about this. And I kind of want to hear what Doc has to say. So just to sum it all up, like what the hell? We're going to keep going. Cause I've got more thoughts on this, but doc, get your say. And then we'll, we'll round table it again. No, I mean, I have even as somebody who I kind of wondered, you know, how much Snit was going to be able to do that because, because he's so traditional, which is part of the reason why, why the guys love him so much is because if you're Nick Marcakis, you even got to have in your head like, man, I should probably get a day off soon. I don't want one, but I probably need one. But you know, you're going to show up to the ballpark and you're going to get to play damn near every day. Um, I kind of wondered wh- whether or not th- this was going to stick. And then um, just because of Snit and also when Riley came up, then he was just, you know, because that was where Camargo was getting most of his starts was in left field. Riley shows up and he's just hitting out of his mind. I mean, truthfully, you kind of can't really take him out of that. So it is funny that tonight, as soon as Riley has kind of hit the skids, then Camargo gets the start. But, uh, you know, looking back, I don't think Snitker was ever like, hell yeah, I'm on platoon, guys. Hell yeah, I'm going to give days off. That was all Anthopolis. That was all him saying, like, we're going to do this. And I think Snitker's over in the corner going, I don't think you realize it. I don't know how to do this the right way. And, uh, you know, it's whether that's to his detriment or not. I mean, the least he could have done was not said that because even from the perspective of somebody where I'm like, yeah, maybe there will be more days off in the second half, or maybe he's doing it to the exact amount that he thought he was going to do it. Saying it, it's kind of like the shop in every aisle thing. It's kind of like the financial flexibility thing where it's like, all right, man, you're setting an expectation that you're not really, intending on fulfilling i don't think so if you had just shut up nobody would be saying these things so it's it is hard to understand because like you said culberson can play anywhere camargo can play just about anywhere joyce can play the corners you could probably play first base if you needed him to but uh you know this is this is legitimately one of the best benches i've seen as a brave fan like that we've ever had and to simply not use them because no, it's almost irresponsible for me. I'm almost to that level of infuriated with this with this quote. I I'm there too, and here's the overall theme. And some people, and Doc is going to be one of them that tells me I'm overreacting. Um, but I I genuinely don't think I'm overreacting when I say it makes me question what the ceiling is with Brian Snicker at the helm. Now I'm not saying that the Braves can't be really good. I'm not even saying that they can't get to a World Series. But if you go back. And go to go to 2016, uh, and take a look from 2016 onwards when the Cubs won theirs and the Astros won and the Red Sox won. Go and look. Just go look on the Fangraphs leaderboards and look at the amount of games played. 
you will not see hardly anybody that played more than 150 games. 20 was it 2017 when the Astros won. They had two players that played 150 games. They were uh, they were I believe Alex Bregman and maybe Jose Altuve, and that was it. Uh, you look at the Dodgers in 2018. You had Cody Bellinger, who played in all 162, and don't forget he was horrendous in the playoffs. And you had Chris Taylor, who played in 155. Nobody else played 150. Uh, Mookie Betts, I don't even believe, played 140 games last year. There's a reason why teams do this. Guys these days don't get to rely on amphetamines and greenies to keep them going for 162 games. And you get drug tested, so it's not like you can just shoot yourself up full of HGH. Like I don't understand this philosophy about hey i'm just not going to use this and doc brought up a good point that i didn't consider before that snitker never committed to doing it and he mentioned in one of the quotes that we had talked about it and he's and this is for him we talked about it um but it's just not the time so maybe he's thinking build a build a gigantic lead and then start then start resting people but I've, I've seen him do this before, and he should know better than anybody. This is the exact same thing that happened a year ago. And what happened at the end of the year? Marcakis cratered. Ozzy cratered. Dansby wasn't great. Freddie cratered. And if you're looking right now, let's see. It's Ozzy, Acuna, Marcakis, Freddie, Dansby are all slated to play over 150 games. And I think Josh Donaldson is slated like right up there as well, somewhere around 140. I mean, there's, there's going to be guys getting tired for sure. And, and I do kind of like the idea that in the second half, when once you start, you'll start to see paint peeling off the walls a little more. You'll start to see the cracks. Um, and I think that that, that really is going to be more of an opportunity. Um I will be curious to see how Riley responds. And Garab, you brought up a really good point about how he's been like, he's proven as much as anybody in this entire organization, his ability to adapt. Um, and th- this is the highest level that he's at. So he is, he is absolutely playing against the best. I, I hope that once he, uh, he kind of gets a breather tonight, I'm sure he'll wind up getting a pinch hit appearance because no, nobody gets a full day off. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but like, I mean, why dude, why? Well, I mean, even just like I don't get it. By the way, that was the other part of his quote because if you take a look, Nate Markakis has had like four days off, quote unquote, but he's pinch hitting all of them. So he's had really no complete days off. He's played in 80 games. And Snit flat out said, nobody's going to get days off uh, unless the starting pitcher goes into the eighth inning and we're up by 10 runs. Like that was that was a quote from Snicker. And you know what? I mean, some of that, and, and I used use this phrase before we started, but that some of that's like, if Marquez is going to get to not stand in the outfield sun, because it's hot as hell. We're in the summertime now. You know, and being outside and standing directly in the sun, wearing a, a wool uniform and a hat with that giant beard, you basically are wearing like a parka. You know, it's like, that's hard. So all if all he's going to do, he's going to sit in an air-conditioned dugout for a couple hours, go pinch hit, and then have to stand in the outfield for half an inning or something like that. I'm fine with that. But, like, as far as, you know, this is this is where it gets confusing because it's like, you know, Matt Joyce is actually having a really good year when he gets to play. Yeah, Camargo had some bad luck, but he's still tattooing the ball, and you give him an opportunity, and you see, you see what happens, you know? So... 
Uh, I don't know. I try and find the positive in everything, and I'm just looking at it going. It's why I love you, Doc. You try to find the good in everything. But to tie this to tie this around, what I originally wanted to tie this into is, Doc, you mentioned Dusty Baker getting fired off winning two divisions. If Snicker yep. continues to do this where he doesn't sit people and he keeps doing the same thing and he refuses to adapt to the, the newer data, it's going to happen to him too. Alex didn't bring in Mike Fast and, and his crew of analytics guys, Dana Brown as well, to run this system like it's 1982. And if Snicker refuses to use the players that Alex gives him in a way that Alex deems they should be used, he's going to find somebody who will. And my problem with that is I think that Snicker's intangibles, like what he does in the locker room, his ability to inspire the guys to outplay his mistakes, I don't think that's something that you can just up uh, up and replace. But... If you have a guy that refuses to learn, you're going to be put in a position where you have to. And that's that's my biggest worry with Snicker. And it looked, don't forget last year, we kind of said the same thing, where it looked early on, you're like, oh, hey, cool. Yeah, he's starting to learn a little bit more about the analytics. He's starting to, he's starting to try to recognize some reverse splits. And then he completely like threw it out the window and just said, Johnny, you're throwing for a full inning. Johnny Venters, you're, you're throwing a full inning. Jerry Blevins, here you go with your thousand OPS against. You're going to face some righties. Like it's. I thought this was what Walt Weiss was supposed to be guarding against. I've. Uh, I think the phrase I relied on often last year was uh, Brian Snicker may not be the brilliant tactician we all thought he was. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's not perfect with it for sure. He's 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 really not, but. I don't. I think for as much, you know, all the comments about Marquez trying to fight John Hart, which is the closest thing we have to uh, <laughs> to Jason Vargas, um, you know that that whole thing that that says a lot about how much everybody in the clubhouse loves him. And you're right; it's not innate. You can't. You cannot teach a lot of the things that that Snicker can do. And uh, you know, you use the term out, outplaying his mistakes. And in some cases, that's going to happen. But it's it's weird trying to figure out uh, this is a comparison I drew in the first half saying like it's hard to tell like in reference to the bullpen like it's hard to figure out when bad things happen is bad thing or bad things happening because we have bad relievers or do bad things happen because that just kind of happens to bullpens every once in a while you know with with snitcher it's like is this just because of happenstance would this have happened if even the most analytically inclined manager would have would have made a decision and it would have backfired or or does that just happen because it's snicker and he doesn't know how to play with his toys properly like i honestly i have i have no idea but and where do you make the trade off like as far as you know snicker manages like it's 1979 but all of his guys still love him like more than any other manager like I, it's hard it's hard to say because if you get somebody who's more analytical analytically inclined then maybe that's not a personality fit and you know you saw what happened after dusty baker got fired so fire him if you want if you want to get somebody who's more analytically inclined in there but there's unintended consequences to that too finn g you got any final thoughts on that i think you guys pretty summed it up for me. I, I honestly don't have, really have anything to add. 
I'm I'm hoping that Alex can. I'm hoping that during this All Star break, Alex, like, hey, uh, Brian, what you said there, not gonna fly. Let let, let let's like, just calm down and then let's explain. Here's what I want. Like, I honestly didn't think Snicker should have gotten the, the the deal in the first place. Like, I, I understand the promotion after everything that happened, and he and he took over. Uh, but what the players said about him isn't something I can see on a fan graph page, right? So, like, that comes with tremendous value, and you have to find a way to keep him in the clubhouse no matter what. So, one, I don't think he's ever going to legitimately be fired. I think, at worst, you're going to see him reassigned to another position. Uh, I thought the dream scenario would almost be, for me, would be him to be, like, the bench coach. And then you have a more analytically inclined manager making the lineups and everything, but then Snickers there to provide whatever it is he provides that the players love so much. Uh, that didn't happen. This is what's happening now, and I think it's another conversation we're going to have pretty much every single year. Just because he's making these same mistakes that frustrate the living hell out of me sometimes. Uh, yeah, uh, that's just, I guess, I just work myself up for no reason. Like, I don't, I don't see him going anywhere. Uh, I hope he gets reassigned. I hope... AA has someone in mind to take over because while the dude obviously has so much value value because the players will go to war for him. Uh, let me not use that term anymore. I don't like that. I don't like, really like saying go to war. Play baseball for him. But that's not even on the same level. Uh, you have to keep him because of that. Just have to find some role that works. And I said bench coach, but now he's getting up there in age, so maybe you find some way to keep him in the organization somehow. I think no matter what, he's going to be in the Atlanta Braves front office until he's ready to hang it up. I'm just going to say put him in the clockwork orange chair and like hold his eyes open and just drill that into him. Drill, drill, drill. It's like, <laughs> and uh, I, I want nothing more for him than for him to learn how to do that stuff because Snicker is such a good guy. I want him to be one of the best coaches in baseball. I genuinely like him as much as I like any coach in baseball, just him personally. If you've never spoken to him, he's a just a an all-around great guy to talk to. He's like a happy grandpa. Like that's just generally him. He's just an amazing person. But for whatever reason he gets so stubborn on this stuff and it drives me up the wall. I don't know what it is, but Dallas Keuchel's about to start up right now. The Braves game's about to start, so we got to get out of here. We've taken up enough of y'all's time. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. Hope you enjoy the show. Doc, Garav, thank you all for joining me. Truly a pleasure talking to you on, on this, our 69th episode. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what a blast. Garav, thanks, dude, always. I mean, you basically have a standing invitation. So if you tweet at us that you you have to come on for the 70th episode, you could probably find yourself uh, right, right back on the show. So, uh Thanks for coming on with us, man. Dylan, uh, always a pleasure. One last thing, parting shot for me, put Brian Snicker in the blooper costume. You can't go wrong. <laughs> that would be kind of funny, uh, whatever it is, and then have him uh, reveal when he goes after a player. But that would be fun. Uh, by the way, I should mention we're on some new platforms now. You guys can now find us on iHeartRadio.com as well. So moving on up the old pro- the old podcast host list there follow us along on there as well thank you guys so much we'll be back again next week here on the platinum sombrero
Good, thanks. Bye.